It's just got quarter past seven. I'm Nikki Webbikicha standing in for Bruce this evening on The Money Show. Time now for our regular Wednesday night feature called Five Reasons. Well, here, as usual, we look at something fascinating or newsworthy, but we try and break it down for you and tell you why it's important and why we should care. Tonight, we're beginning looking at numbers and numbers which measure economic activity, numbers like GDP and CPI, which we all take very, very seriously and think they're very, very important. But our next guest thinks... We're looking at the wrong sorts of figures. Well, my guest this evening is Lorenzo Fioramonti. He's a director of the Center of Study of Governance and Innovation at the University of Pretoria. Now, he has written a new book called How Numbers Rule the World, The Use and Abuse of Statistics in Global Politics. Lorenzo, evening to you. Thank you so much for for joining us. Good evening. Thank you. So so you're going to tell us that we've been getting it all wrong all along. Why? Absolutely. Um, There are many reasons why the statistics that we use to decide our policies to drive our nations are wrong. Um, Some of them have been invented many years ago. They're largely outdated. They don't tell us much about the type of economies that we have. Some of them, you know, some of the data is actually of very poor quality and the type, you know, the type of information we have relies on sketchy surveys. Most people don't know that, but this is the reality. And And, and what figures specifically are we talking about? I mean, I think the main culprit is, number one, is GDP. Um, Mm -hmm. GDP is part and parcel of our national debate. Just a couple of days ago, Nigeria released a new GDP and everybody in South Africa was nervous about it because Mm -hmm. now Nigeria is the biggest economy in Africa. But do we really know what GDP measures? Do we really know what it is? And my take is that actually this number is extremely confusing and doesn't tell us anything about the type of economy we want. If for many reasons, Nigeria is an economy with a very unsustainable trajectory and issues that will eventually, even now, but eventually undermine the developmental trajectory of this country. So it's if, not a role if, model. If these numbers are all rubbish, why do credible institutions like the World Bank, IMF or other financial institutions still use them? Well, I think there is an inherent trust in numbers. Somehow they help us reduce the complexity of our systems. So these big institutions, our governments and our policymakers hold on to numbers to make sense of the reality because it it provides them with an easy, an easy way, an easy a techno fix, an easy solution. And um, I'm not against numbers per se, but I believe these numbers were invented at a specific point in time. GDP is 80 years old. The Consumer Price Index, G- uh, CPI, was invented in 1913. How much has changed but, in our economy? But just because it's since? old doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. No, it doesn't mean it's wrong, but the fact that it's old means that it was invented to describe another world, another economy. The way in which the economic development was seen in the 1910, 1920s was very different from the way in which we, you and I, see economic development nowadays. And if we don't measure it appropriately and accurately, we take the wrong decisions based on it. How would we measure things appropriately in your view? Um, You know, GDP, just to take one example, is a gross measurement. How many people have ever wondered why we call it gross? Gross means that it doesn't measure the costs of what it takes to do uh, to, to pursue economic growth. Now, a company knows, any manager knows that, in, you know, like profit is income minus investment. GDP tells us we don't need to worry about investment. We can simply generate um, in, in income out of whatever we produce. But often our economies rely on investments, both social and natural, of all dif- uh, different sorts, that makes it possible. We never measured but, but that. But aren't there different indices to measure that? 
At the moment, we don't have them because we invest all the resources on measuring what is wrong, which is GDP. We are in a world in which resources are limited. So if a statistician is basically 24-7 measuring GDP, doesn't have time to measure something else. And there's an interesting debate in many statistical offices, even in Africa, in which they're trying to tell policymakers, please, let's discuss the validity of our numbers and maybe let's reconsider some of them, give us more resources, and we're going to be able to measure something that is better. But of course, the tendency is not to do that. Mm-hmm. Why isn't that happening, do you think? It's not happening because the whole world is fixated on some of these numbers. I mean, nowadays, South Africa is part of the BRICS of the G20 and because of its GDP numbers. When we question GDP, all of a sudden there is a feeling that so much is attached to this number that we don't want to question it. We're scared of what may come next. I find it hard to believe that people making very important decisions about the global economy would deliberately base it on, on not a true or full picture. Well, I, I'm, you know, it, it is the way it is the way it's working at the moment, and there's also maybe another reason. GDP does not tell us what the inherent costs of the type of investment we make are, which means that, for instance, many companies nowadays, especially the big polluting companies, take get a facelift. If I pollute, I don't have to account for the expenses that will come with the pollution, which means that I am adding value to society because we're not measuring how much it's going to cost to clean up. So. Basically, all the the coal industry, the big polluting industries around the world get a facelift out of GDP. If we change GDP, believe me, many of them will will go belly up. What would it take to factor in all of these things that you mentioned? We're trying to do that. There is a global debate at the moment on trying to measure the value of the things that are excluded from GDP. It requires resources. We're trying to measure the value of natural capital, the the value of human capital that goes into it. There are interesting activities all over the world. But of course, some of them are inherently opposed by, you know, potential powerful interests. Mm-hmm. Just to give you an example, in 1994, Bill Clinton tried to change GDP. And of course, the coal industry said, no, no way, we can't do this. And the, in the, in the House of Parliament, the, the Congress turned it down. Mm-hmm. So there is, an, there is a growing debate. And I think African policymakers are slowly but surely catching up with this debate. Mm-hmm. But the embedded interests are so strong. In, in, in the info that you've given us, you have said that uh, GDP growth tends to exacerbate income inequality. Are you saying that the picture would be even would be better? What I'm saying is that this is something that we've known for so many years. There is even, even a person, Simon Kuznets, got a Nobel Prize for having discovered what we call the Kuznets curve. GDP, by focusing only on the formal economy and on flows within the economy without considering the value of stocks, which is what gets depleted over time, regenerates income that is often distributed in a way that is very awkward. And he actually demonstrated that in the first few years, even 50, 60, 80 years of growth in a country, income and economy income inequality grows. Even the World Bank about Nigeria said exactly the same. The Nigerian boom has increased income inequality dramatically in that country. And we see this all over the world. All the big organizations are recognizing that. But there is a gap between what statisticians say and what the policymakers, and sorry for this, but Mm -hmm. even you guys, the media says, because most of you do not understand statistics. Mm -hmm. You simply dish them out every day as if they were a good thing, if these numbers were a good thing for society. But often they're not. But people listening don't understand that. And we all cheer when GDP goes up and we don't know what's behind it. No, no, it's an important uh, point that you raise because these are figures that we get from reputable institutions. When we do research, presumably we assume that they're right. 
Well, reputable institutions often put in a fine print, the footnote, that some of these numbers have a lot of methodological problems. So it's you the against world the Bank, world, is it? The World Bank recognizes that. The World mm. Bank does. You know, just Google on the World Bank, inclusive wealth, and they tell you all the problems with GDP. OECD recognizes that. Even some statistical offices are trying to, you know, expose the validity of some of these numbers. Um, and, and as I said, there is a growing debate behind it. Uh, what the problem is that the media, by simply repeating this information, mm-hmm. gives the impression to society that when GDP goes up, it's a good thing. When the CPI, inflation, goes down, it's a good thing for society. And stock market indices, mm-hmm. other numbers that you use all the time, yeah, you tell yeah. us, you make us believe it when the JAC goes up, it's a good thing for society, which is not true. Often it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. How ought we report in order to give that accurate picture? Given that, of course, in broadcasting or any other kind of media, uh, we have to be, there has to be brevity. Instant brevity and numbers are powerful because they help you be short. But I think it'd be important to look at the bigger picture, even with brevity. You know, a few sentences are still brief, but you can simply say, you know, like today the economy has grown, but this, you know, this is not necessarily, or a big company has grown, the stock market has grown, but at the same time we see growing inequality in some of the areas of our economy, of our society, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. The fact is that when we continuously repeat these numbers, we give the impression that when they go up, it's a good thing for all of us. And often, this is really important, it is the other way around. When they go up, most of us lose out. Mm-hmm. You know, I give Who's to, losing out? I, I, I lost out once. You know, like, I'm married thanks to the economic crisis in 2008. You know why? <laughs> because in 2008, because we, before we got married, there, were no, there was no money. My mother-in-law had all invested all the money into the stocks. But then, of course, thank God, so there was no money to help us buy a house. But thank God, the stocks went down. She couldn't get the returns on the money. She took the money out of the stocks, and all of a sudden, there was money to be invested in the real economy. Mm-hmm. Often, investing in stocks means taking money out of the real economy, of the small businesses, because it gets concentrated in the hands of the largest capitalization publicly traded companies. Companies. Mm-hmm. You see, the economy is not all men's equal. You mm-hmm. know, the economy is a sure. very, very um, skewed system. And I often, when the stock exchanges grow, it means more money into the big companies, which mm-hmm. means less money into the small companies. Yeah. And for individuals as well. And for individuals, uh, yeah. the, the other figure that you dispute Anna, is the credit ratings uh, as well. Uh, tell us why. Do I really need to? Thank God. <laughs> you know, 2008. You want to take us back well, to 2008, right? <laughs> all yeah. of a sudden, we realized that our economy was based on fictitious numbers. I don't know if uh, how many people know this, but besides everything we've learned after 2008 and Standard & Poor's being taken to court mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, but you know that credit ratings are considered opinions by the very companies that issue them. If you read the reports, there is an asterisk that says, please do not take these numbers as a good guide for investment, believe mm-hmm. it or not. But, and, but given that, though, ca- countries, uh, companies still rely on that data and make decisions based on that, you, even though they know and have read the, the know, small print. Why? Because they they are not interested in the informational value of that number. They're interested in what the neighbor will say. And they say, if I don't believe in that number, if my neighbor will believe, that will trigger a market trend and I need to be ahead of the trend. This is creating the sort of herd mentality in our markets. But if our media was able to say, today, Standard Poor's, you know, downgraded our economy, how valid are these numbers? So we really need to take them seriously and go on with the debate. Many more investors will say, you know what? I decided not to take it seriously. But, we but, know it's actually but I'd something go further that is than that. 
I, I would say that governments themselves have to say, oh, well, uh, I, I dismiss that rating given by Standard & Poor's or whatever because I know that it doesn't actually equal A, B and C. Why is it only the media's responsibility? You know what? If the government, I'm, I'm with you. I think yeah. governments should do that. Often governments do it. But if the government does it, the first, you know, like um, uh, re- the, the, the first reaction is, oh, government does it because they don't like the idea of being uh-huh. scrutinized. Mm-hmm. So I think somehow, you know, good or bad governments out there would be happy or unhappy about the rating. But if the media did it, if the investment community did it, it would be more, seen as more neutral. These people have no reasons to dispute the I mean, ratings. I, I, and I would argue that post-2008, the, the media has been somewhat a bit more sceptical and critical of the ratings agencies, given what happened. I think so. To a certain extent, things are changing. You know, like, I bet you, as soon as I leave this room, you're going to start repeating all those numbers once again, <laughs> as if this conversation never happened. This is what we face every day. You know, this sort of disconnect between understanding them and having the guts, the courage to challenge them. This is what I do. You know, just a, mo- a couple of months ago, I was invited to speak at the African Union. Um, and, and there was a, um, uh, an audience of statisticians, the heads of statistics, and we started a debate. I was in Namibia with the Prime Minister. I'll be in Mozambique. Can Uganda? We need to start a debate on the numbers that we want. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to get the economies that we want. Mm-hmm. There is a clear link between the two. What you measure affects what you do. If mm-hmm. you measure the wrong things, you do the wrong you things. You do the wrong things. How are you going to get buy-in into this? You said the debate is starting. The debate has started, and thank God, more important people than me started it. So it's not just one person against the whole the whole numbers world. Um, what we need is the capacity in Africa to take a step back. Now it's Africa's boom, Africa rising. So everybody's holding uh, on to GDP for for change. We're I bet relevant. you. I bet you're skeptical about that as well. I'm very skeptical about uh-huh. that. I so think a lot of people are skeptical about that because it gives us a very skewed picture of the reality. I think African policymakers will need to be courageous enough to say, you know what? If it's our century. We want to go our way. We want to be able to say something about the development model that we want. We have imported this development model from somewhere else, from the West. Now we have championed something we never invented. Maybe time has come for us to open a debate, discuss it, and really be rising, but according to our priorities, to what we really want, rather than replicating a model that how is losing would, how traction. How would you describe the, the situation in Africa at the moment if, if, if you dismiss the Africa rising narrative? Okay, just um, um, a soundbite. Most African countries are on a GDP growth trajectory, which is highly unsustainable. It's not me saying this. It's even the World Bank, besides all the big environmental organizations around the world, which means that even if it's rising, it's rising on a basis that is, gonna, that is not sustainable. So it's going to crumble, first Why of all. That? Because it's based on natural resources, yeah. exporting natural resources that are not renewable. It's like selling organs. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if I sell my organs one by one, I get money in my bank. But at some mm-hmm. stage, I'm going to run out of organs. And when I've run out of money, I don't have anything left. But many of those economies are starting to diversify. Presumably, that growth is coming from there as well. Some of the economies, some of the economies are starting to diversify. Some of the fastest growing economies are not diversifying at all. Angola, Nigeria, just to a certain extent, Mozambique, the DRC, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's a natural resource type of export uh, model of growth. Secondly, as I've said, the type of growth that GDP emphasizes is highly unequal. This is creating social unrest. Believe me, revolutions have never been generated by, uh, you know, like abject poverty, but by rising inequality. I'm getting upset because my neighbor has got way more than I have. And this is what we're seeing in these countries, high volatility and instability. Some of these things are a perfect recipe for disaster. South Africa? South Africa as well, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I think we're realizing that. Most of the South African model in the past was based on gold, diamonds, and coal. And now this is creating pots of wealth 
and parts of extreme poverty, or at least significant deprivation. But we don't know how to measure it accurately. We don't measure that. We don't measure that. So we keep investing in coal industry. We keep investing in other things because they we never feature the real costs of this model. Lorenzo, thank you so much for your time. I'm sure there'll be lots of response to that. Lorenzo Ferramonti, he is Director of Centre of Study of Governance and Innovation at the University of Pretoria. He's got a new book out. It's called How Numbers Rule the World, The Use and Abuse of Statistics in Global politics.